Welcome to the first episode of This Is How You Do It. For those of you who don't know the first new podcast from The Guilty Feminist, at MediaStorm, Helena Wadia and I, Matilda Mallinson, take our frustrations at the world out on our own beloved industry, the mainstream media. So today it's time for something positive. That's right. There are change makers grinding away in the media, working to showcase marginalized voices and make it all a little bit less sensationalist and a little bit more uplifting. So we're teasing them in with some midweek, mid-afternoon wine and chocolate biscuits to tell us about how they do things right. This, by the way, is a Guilty Feminist and Media Storm crossover series, so it'll be appearing as a bonus episode on both feeds every other week from today. Time now to introduce our guests for this episode. The award-winning political editor for Galdem magazine was shortlisted for the Amnesty Media Award for her coverage of Chile's social uprising. And that's just her day job. By night, she's known to country music lovers as Naomi in blue. She has even been a Forbes 30 under 30. Naomi Larson Pineda, can I offer you white wine, pink wine, or a, a rhubarb refresher? <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't know. This is what I have. <laughs> Next time you can provide drinks. Fine, I will. I'm going to go for pink wine. Pink it's wine. it's a hot day. Yes, I'm so glad that you're not on a post-Gastonbury cleanse. I'm just going to continue the party. Excellent. Matilda, do not spill that on any of the equipment. Matilda is a very spilly person. That's a cute nickname, though, Spilly. Spilly Tilly. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) This is going to stick now. Naomi, what we're here for. Tell us first what you do now. So I'm uh, Galdem's senior politics editor, and I'm quite new. I've only been there a couple of months, but I'm really loving it. And what makes Galden different to other news outlets? It is a publication that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people of colour from marginalised genders. So we work with with writers who fit that description and we tell the stories of how people of colour and marginalised communities navigate the world, living in kind of systems that are against them effectively. Could you give us an example? So one that we, we recently published this week was a story from Chile about a politician who had watched Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, saw the stealthing scene and was inspired to make stealthing a crime in Chile. So she's kind of trying to bring that into force. Yeah. That is so cool. What yeah. a cool story. And for those of you who maybe don't know, um, stealthing is when somebody removes the condom during what was consensual sex. And that is a crime in the UK. Correct? It's classed under rape, but um, what they're trying to do over there is actually make it into a separate a separate crime, I mm. guess. Obviously, you mentioned Chile there, mm-hmm. and a lot of your work has been focused on Chile. First of all, just tell us why. I'm half Chilean. My mum is from Chile, so I've got loads of family over there. I went a few years ago in 2019 to sort of live there and float around for a bit. But then that's when the the social uprising happened. How how was it reporting in that environment during the social uprising? It was super intense. I had come from a perspective where it was very personal. The reason why there was this social uprising was due to inequality that had built up for years and years and years. It's to do with kind of the internet intergenerational trauma from the dictatorship, which only finished, you know, just over 30 years ago. That's the Pinochet dictatorship. Yeah, the, the Pinochet dictatorship, who was this sort of fascist, awful person who was around for 17 years. 
Love them. <laughs> yeah. The fascists. <laughs> Shout out to all the fascists listening. <laughs> yeah, so there was there was so much bubbling away that ended up in this huge wave of protests all up and down the country fighting for indigenous rights, women's rights, LGBTQ plus community, but also just, you know, working class people. It's kind of everything. It was this huge amalgamation of stuff. And they have a really big protest culture in Chile anyway, so they'll protest every single day. And I was in the middle of it all, trying to spread the word of what was going on to the international community. When there's something like protest and protest about so many injustices that you just mentioned, and there's so much emotion and there's so much trauma as well wrapped up in all of that, how do you report whilst keeping that kind of trauma in mind? So I think it's I think it's super hard because inevitably you take on some of that trauma as a as a reporter and as a journalist because you were literally listening to and trying to understand and trying to be empathetic. Listening, like fully listening is is really important and giving people a space to to share in a trusting way and being accurate in the way that you report their experiences to. That's something that I always ask myself. We're taught as journalists that we need to be objective. How do you reconcile objectivity with empathy when you're in an environment which is so emotive and where you say human rights are at stake? I actually think in that context, objectivity is bullshit. I hope that wasn't too direct a question. <laughs> it's like, it's obvious. Like, we we know what is right and wrong. I'm you not say gonna... it's obvious, but so many people... It's because it's it's such... It's part of the institution, right? It's, it's, these, it's the old guard in the sort of old-fashioned mainstream where, yes, that is how you were taught and how it's meant to be, you know, this objectivity of the, of the BBC and this non-bias. But I think we just, we live in a different age now where I think we should have learned by now that actually it's kind of impossible to be objective. Galdem, we have, we're very clear in who we are. I mean, we tell truth, we tell the truth. That's, I think there's a, there's a difference between this trying to be objective and then the, the truth, right? The truth is, is way more important than this, like striving to be objective. Mm. And so I think that's where the, that's where the difference because the reality is emotive and reality yeah. maybe is moral. Yeah, you know, as an example, being in Chile and there was kind of quite famously the police and the army use sort of, um, what do they call it? Non-lethal weapons, crowd control weapons, rubber bullets and tear gas and things like that. But they use them in such a way that they actually seriously injure people and even kill people. And there was a huge crisis of people losing their eyes, that they were blinded. Mm. You know, that's that's police brutality. That's human rights abuses. If by me speaking to the victims of this and speaking to human rights groups and not getting a quote from the from the Chilean state, if that's not objective, like I just like don't give a fuck because yeah. it's the truth of what is happening. So, Naomi, it's genie time. We're going to pretend you're a genie. But instead of three wishes, you have one wish. <laughs> stingy, stingy genie. You're a stingy genie. Yeah, yeah, you're a stingy inflation, genie. Inflation times genie. Exactly. There's a cost of living crisis, okay? You get one wish. One wish to change anything you like about the mainstream media. What is it? I was thinking about this, and the first thing that came to my head was that I wish people like Piers Morgan would just fuck off. Yes. Because... It's just so, it's just so, like, why? Why are these people still 
with so much power. When mm. we know that they like consistently lie, I feel like I'm talking about Boris Johnson right now. It, what was it, like 20 years ago, he got sacked from the Daily Mirror for it, publishing those doctored photos about the British soldiers abusing Iraqi prisoners. Yeah. Everyone's forgotten about that. Yeah. And he is now super rich, he's super powerful, and I just feel like somewhere down the line, the mainstream media has just allowed shit people, fundamentally. Absolutely. To continue rising to the top. But you could be talking about Boris Johnson because he was sacked for fabricating <laughs> yeah, quotes true. way back. I mean, yeah. if I fabricated quotes or images, I would never come back from that, yeah. career-wise. No. I don't understand you know where that immunity comes from. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. That's where it comes from. I do think that at some point, the the media will kind of have to turn around and look at itself and say that, like, we allowed this. Like, we allowed this to happen. We allowed people like Piers Morgan to broadcast to millions of viewers in the mid-morning and really harm trans and non-binary people Mm -hmm. and like take the piss out of them live on air and say oh I'm a two-spirit penguin horrible horrible stuff and at some point you do hope you know we'll turn around and take a look at ourselves but I'm not sure what it would take to get to that point and I think that the media that that now props up Piers Morgan or the people who hire him would say yeah but this is just the market, you know, there's a market mm. for it. And if our viewers want it, we're just giving them what they want. But I think what that misses is that the mainstream media very willingly creates this market, totally. very willingly flares up unfounded fears, us and them fears, because it's so much easier to make a profit off a lie than it is off the truth. It's so much easier to make a profit off hate than it is off understanding. There is no moral responsibility in a free market. And so this is what the free market does to an industry, the media that should fundamentally be public service oriented. No, you're so right. I think we we created this. We created this And on that note, we're going to take a quick break, have a sip of wine and a chocolate biscuit, and we'll be back with you shortly. The chocolate biscuits are still untouched. But the rhubarb juice is proving a winner. (laughs) Delicious, actually. It is, I know. My dad makes it. Oh, made that. Squeezes it with his own hands. No, that's not (laughs) My dad makes rhubarb juice. That's what my dad does. We'll have him on next episode, okay? (laughs) So, we've gotten rid of Piers Morgan. (laughs) He's gone. We've gone ahead. (laughs) Now let's talk about the stories we do like. What is your favourite story that you've ever reported on? I did a story for The Guardian a little while ago that I think is my favourite because I got to meet Laura Marling. Oh, you love Laura Marling. She is my Marling. queen. Yeah. Piers Morgan, bad. Laura Marling, queen. <laughs> um, I did a story about gender inequality in the music industry. I, I kind of hate numbers and I hate data. And this was like my one and only data story. Because I think my, my theory was if you go see a, a gig just in your local pub, you're more than likely not going to see a woman mm. or a non-binary person on stage, right? I wanted some hard, solid facts, but couldn't find them anywhere. So then I was like, okay, I'm just going to look on this one gig listing site and then go through every single band that was playing across the UK, Google them, find out 
what the makeup of that band was. How long did this take? Oh my god, it took took so much time. (laughs) Did you you have some kind of Excel formula to help you? No, because I do not understand. I do not know anything about Excel. I only recently learned how to add up the cells. Are they called cells? Yeah, the the squares. I'm still still gonna do this. This is yeah, maybe not great for women. It was. (laughs) (laughs) You don't represent all women, okay? This is what I feel like. I feel that pressure. Like, oh my gosh. If, if so I'm with a bunch of people and it's like, oh, let's kick around a ball. Does anyone want to play? And none of none of the women want to play. Then I'm like, oh, I have to play. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel that way when I'm parking. And if it's like particularly <laughs> tricky and I feel like everybody's looking at me and I'm like, no, because I'm really going to like fulfill the stereotype that women can't uh, drive. I will. I will park for you. One time I was parking in a really, really, really crowded car park. And this man came up. Hadn't even tried to park yet. So I hadn't demonstrated how, skills. my skills he came up and he said would you like me to park for you <gasps> stop <laughs> I, mean, like, I lost it <laughs> would you like me to I do park, shopping for I you I park my like, ass off I park like I have never parked before. oh my gosh I'm so proud of you Thank you. <laughs> so How did we get on to this? So, data. Okay, so, yes, yes. So, you were trawling through yes. this gig listing site. Yeah. And I imagine the conclusion was a hell of a lot of men. More than two-thirds of the live music acts performing on this random day in October, I think it was, will feature no women on stage. And that was five years ago you yeah. said that article came out and it is still a problem it's yeah. still a hot topic I went to Primavera Festival in 2019 and again this year and in 2019 they had committed to a 50-50 lineup so that was 50-50 of men and women but In committing to that, what they had also done, I think just naturally, it meant that there were more people of colour playing. It meant that there were more people with disabilities playing. It meant that there were more marginalised genders playing. And honestly, it was the best festival I have ever been to. That year, it felt so amazing. One day, I remember I turned to my friend and I said, we've only seen women today. And it was absolutely amazing. And this is coming from someone who wow. is a very big fan of men with guitars. Yeah. Honestly, I don't ever want to go to a festival again where they haven't committed to it. Yeah. It sucks. It sucks. Okay, I have a question actually, because a friend of mine shared his playlist with me and I noticed that it was pretty much all men. Good music, but all men. And he said, yeah, okay, you're probably going to think I'm sexist. I just don't really enjoy oh listening God, to female singing voices as much as male singing voices. Can you say that's sexist? Because that's not a choice. I, I feel like he just really hasn't listened to that much music. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> female voices are so diverse. A female voice not- is not like a homogenous group. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? There's so many different sounds. And also, you know, it's not just singers it's drummers and musicians of all kind of producers producers i think the ratio is far far worse Mm. our resident artist samphire is uh also a female producer and she's part of a group called two percent rising Mm. and it's called two percent rising because 98 percent of producers in the music industry are men and also if you think about it like that they're the people who kind of create the sounds effectively Mm. of what we listen to so it almost in a way it makes sense that your friend would think like that because so much of the music that we listen to and consume has been through the ears and the hands of of men. They are kind of putting a, a little man tinge on the music. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man tinge. Sounds like the worst aftershave ever. Yeah. Man tinge. Can I just say something about Paul McCartney? Yes. Because I've just come back from Glastonbury 
and I feel a bit croaky. And so it was really mad for me to see, but like mad in a good way to see Paul McCartney headline. But he, there was not a woman on stage. Mm. And the two guests that he brought on, Dave Grohl and Bruce Springsteen, like, fine. Mm. Yeah, they've contributed to the world of music. But do we really need two men with guitars? You know, there were tens of thousands of people in this crowd. I just think, yes, you have lots of power. You need to fucking take responsibility of of what image you're projecting to these people. Get fucking women musicians on stage. The power of pulling someone from an underrepresented musical demographic onto that stage in that moment. You could have done so much more with that moment than you did because your brain's just not on it. And bringing it back into the world of journalism, editors need to take that responsibility too in terms of the diversity and the types of stories that we're covering. It's got to be know. a constant We are all Paul McCartney. Yeah. We are all Paul McCartney. <laughs> and I guess, I guess with organisations like Galdem, where you are constantly, consciously trying to correct an imbalance, some people might look at it and say, oh, but you only commission writers mm. of colour. You know, I couldn't write for you guys. And some people would be like, oh, but how's that helping? But this is the issue. Unless you are constantly, consciously Mm. correcting the imbalance, it just doesn't happen. Exactly. Tell us a little bit more about the music you make, what you do, what your sound is. Can you sing for us? (laughs) Come on, we need some more female gigs. (laughs) Female gig number one here in my living room. I mean, to be fair, I need to up my Spotify numbers. (laughs) So I'm an artist called Naomi Blue. Yeah, singer-songwritery stuff, but I have a band. It can get a bit heavy, a bit psychedelic sometimes. It's been quite helpful, actually, to balance the journalism side and the musical side because it's another way of telling stories effectively. Do you feel ever the pressure to only be doing one thing? Can't be doing journalism and music. Pick a lane. I think it is actually really vital that you do lots of different things because we as human beings are multifaceted people and I cannot think of anything worse than only doing one thing because I would just, I think I'd lose it. Because it's also, it's not always going to go well, your, your career. And then so you have the other thing that you do to fall back on and enjoy and give that gives you happiness. And I think that goes either way. Especially now that one job won't even pay you a basic living wage and well, you might still well, be on two backs. You may as well pick this up a couple. This thing, you kind of have to. And I also think as, as a freelance, it's just so hard being a freelance journalist. Although I would say that I do recommend it. I loved it mm. and it was great. And I got to do my, like so many amazing yeah, things. Yeah, love it. No illusions. It is but it, it is, is gr- it is a grind. <laughs> mm. You know, it's just constant rejections. It's constant late payments. Chasing massive yeah. multinational corporations to pay <laughs> you so much money <laughs> to pay you for something that you published months ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and, people- and to pay you like seventy pounds. <laughs> <laughs> this is also yeah, exactly. You need to have a little side gig as a freelancer. Mm. And I think anyone who doesn't have a side gig is lying. Is lying, it's lying. <laughs> because it's literally, it's literally impossible to I could survive. Add, I could add a few things to my Twitter bio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Naomi, where can people follow you? And do you have anything to plug? I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Naomi Lars. N-A-O-M-I-L-A-R-S. It's part of my surname, Picard. I don't know why I was thinking. It would have been easier just to put my actual name. Um, and I'm on Instagram as well as at Naomi in blue. 
And on Spotify, Spotify people can stream you, I guess. Naomi whatever. and Blue, Spotify, wherever you listen to your things. And a few more plugs for our listeners. In case you haven't noticed the last two Guilty Feminist episodes, see Deborah joined by none other than Jonathan Van Ness of Queer Eye Galore. Helena's really excited next to me. Too excited. So head on over and give them a listen. It was just great. They've got such a soothing voice and I love it. Even more silky than the hair. The hair. (laughs) The hair. Anyway. (laughs) Meanwhile. (laughs) Meanwhile, over at Mediastorm, we've been investigating abortion access, how reporting has unfolded in the US over the shocking overturning of Roe versus Wade and the surprising ongoing barriers to abortion here in the UK. So that episode will be out next Thursday, the 7th of July, in time for your morning commute. See you then.